0: Welcome back to another episode of Rametum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is called An Elder Rasband Devotional from August 12th of 2021. Are coming back to listen to another episode. Today's format is going to be just a little bit different. I have a guest that's coming on that will come on occasionally and chat with me. His name is Paul. He's a very close friend of mine and he and I deconstructed religion around the same time. I have mentioned him before, but he was very instrumental in my dec- deconstruction process. I will comment that the audio quality of the clips that we have of Elder Rasband speaking are not. Fantastic. The source of the audio that my friend and I received was not a uh, great quality, but this was a devotional that Elder Rasband gave in our area in the Portland metro area, Portland, Oregon, on August 12th of 2021. There's a lot to look forward in this. Uh, Sister Cordon admits to a bit of nepotism and how she received special treatment. Elder Rasband talks a little bit about the first presidency message and council to wear masks and get the vaccine. And he talks about the motive for the church leadership to send that out. There's a number of great highlights in this. So let's jump into this. Welcome to Ramsey Upton Ruminations, Paul. Oh, thank you very much for having me. So let's let's have you introduce yourself real quickly. Tell
1: us a little bit about yourself and then we'll jump into this. Okay, sounds good. I am uh, Paul. I'm a good friend of Scott's. Uh, we met a few years ago when he moved into my ward and gave a talk. And uh, in his talk, he mentioned some of his hobbies. And I thought, I need to meet this guy. And uh, <laughs> we've been friends ever since, right? Yes,
0: yes, yeah. we have. I haven't mentioned my other hobbies too much in the podcast, but I am definitely a nerd. I, most of my hobbies are very nerdy. <laughs> that's how paul and i got to know each other um i have mentioned previously that i do a an actual play D podcast in that podcast um paul is the dungeon master so we so if you follow me on 12 sided guys you'll recognize paul from there as well all right so today we're going to discuss a fireside a youth fireside broadcast from over the weekend Now, this was a broadcast in our home stake. So this was actually for the youth in our area. And in this fireside, we had Elder Rasband and Sister Corden, along with some other local area authorities and some 70. But the the bulk of what we want to talk about is comments made by Sister Corden and Elder Rasband. There were some interesting nuggets in there, a lot for us to, to talk about and dissect. So let's jump in. We're going to play some sound bites from their talk. And we're going to, after we play the sound bites, we're going to discuss some of our thoughts on what they said. At the end of this, they do a question and answer. But they only get to four questions. So when that comes, we're actually going to cut out the questions from the children because we don't want to put their names out there on the internet. So we'll just paraphrase what they asked. And we'll show the responses from the leadership to their questions. And frustratingly, they only answered four questions because each answer took about 10 minutes to get through the simplest questions.
1: And I I might add that you say four questions. There were four questions answered, but only three of the questions were actually from the audience. The first question actually was literally just, we could ask this question a lot. So we'll answer it right now and and it was a it was a very milk question
0: yes and all of the questions all of the questions were very much milk questions
1: i don't know that that second question from that girl was pretty spicy yeah well we'll we'll get (laughs) there we'll get there (laughs) (laughs) all right so let's jump into this so the first clip that i found interesting was a clip from elder mark a bragg who is a uh, member of the Corma of the Seventy, I'm fairly certain he's like the area president of the Northwest America area. And he's talking about these families in in Paraguay. And he starts off talking about how these families in the jungle had uh, miraculously already knew about the coming of Jesus. And and that's a whole other story. But the story that he shares about the families now, like that really... That affected me. So, yeah, go ahead and play the clip, and then um, we can talk about it afterwards. All right, here is the clip.
2: There are forty families. They live in the same place. They've renamed their city, their little settlement, Abundancia, which is bountiful. Now, they don't live necessarily in a land of bountiful, but spiritually they're there. And this is what I wanted to to impress upon you. Every year, or, or maybe two years they sell everything in their homes, everything, every bed, every chair, every table, so that they can travel for 22 hours, partially walking, partially by boat down a river, partially by bus to the temple in Asuncion, so that they can spend three days at the temple to do temple work. And then they turn around They go six hours on a bus, 16 hours on a boat, and they walk another 10 miles back home to an empty home, no beds, no tables, no chairs, and they start anew. They start building chairs and tables and beds so that in a year, they can sell it all and go back to the temple.
0: All right. So what, what struck you about that? There were some things
1: that are deeply problematic. What specifically did you want to talk about? Um, I guess, you know, as years ago, I would have found that I heard that story. And I would have thought, oh, that's really cool how much that they were willing to sacrifice to go to the temple. And I still think that that is, you know, sacrifice is a good thing. I think that being willing to sacrifice for something that you feel is very important is very valid and, and it's important. However, The sacrifice that these people make literally to build their own furniture for a year and then sell it all to make a trip to the temple for three days in a church worth more than $120 billion. It really, it rubs me the wrong way. There is so much money sitting around in accounts that this church has that the idea that these people have to sell everything to go to the temple instead of. The church being willing to support them in their efforts to do what they're taught to do, I guess it would be a drop in the bucket to get these families a trip to the temple for three days. It, and it's in Paraguay where the it's the the cost of living is lower than it is in in North America, and it would be nothing to get this family there, and yet. The story is that they have to give up everything to go to the temple. And the story is that way in order to get us to realize how lucky we are. And that if these other people are sacrificing all of this to to get to the temple, it must be important. So we should take it uh, as being something that's very important as well. I I find it emotionally manipulative a little bit. It's definitely emotionally manipulative. It's normalizing the fact that the church
0: expects you to sacrifice everything for it and that's deeply problematic when you're teaching kids that that this is the normal thing to do to give up everything you have in order to serve the church that's unhealthy especially as you said when the church could easily charter a bus at no cost to their deep pockets like honestly it would it would take nothing for them to charter a bus and send the whole ward for a weekend trip to the temple
1: the other aspect that i find interesting is is that if And this is just maybe taking it to the next step. And maybe I'm just making assumptions. However, if going to the temple was that important, they would make it happen. The church would make it happen and make it possible to go more often, right? Instead of just once a year or two. I mean, according to that statement, he says once a year, but then also he also says that, you know, they'll work for two years sometimes. If it was really important to get to the temple, they would, the church would make that happen. And I realized this story and what these people go through is not about going to the temple it's about these people sacrificing and the sacrifice ties them to what they're sacrificing for so much deeper, right? Mm -hmm. If you gave them a trip to the temple without having to sacrifice, they wouldn't value it as much. Um, Mm -hmm. and then they wouldn't be as tied to the temple. And I think that's one of the reasons why people here in North America, where there are temples everywhere. I mean, we don't value the temple as much as, people who have to travel. I remember hearing stories Mm -hmm. growing up about my family going to the Oakland temple. Like that was the closest temple for them for a long time. And the wards would go on these long bus trips to the temple. And it was this great experience. And now the Portland temple is less than an hour away. When I served my mission in Concepcion, Chile,
0: it was about an eight hour bus ride for the members of the church to go to the temple. And in fact, they had already normalized marriages outside of the temple and then followed by a trip to the temple when you can afford it. So people, there there was no stigma around getting married outside of the temple because they understood that it was a sacrifice and a whole trip that had to be made to go and get there. So it is a sacrifice for these people, but it doesn't need to be that much of a sacrifice. If you need to sell everything that you own, let's let's just throw this out there. If I could not afford, if I'm an active believing member of the church, can't afford to go to the temple, and I go to my bishop and say, Bishop, I want to go and serve in the temple, but I can't afford you know, my food if I go because X, Y, and Z, You know, my finances are tight. The bishop is going to give you money to help you serve in the temple. That's the way they do it here in North America. So why wouldn't they be able to do it there in South America? If someone goes to the bishop and says, I cannot afford to both go to the temple and provide for my family. The church steps in and helps, at least here in North America. So perhaps they don't help people in other countries. Is that what is that what he's trying to say? Is that a
1: conclusion that we can make from this? I mean, yeah. And if you want to take it another step uh, further, you can say, well, if this much is required of them to get to the temple, and it's such a blessing for them to do it, then why don't we, why aren't we required to do more to go to the temple? You know, we make it easier and easier here in North America to go to the temple. So are we missing out on blessings because we don't have to sacrifice as much as they do? <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Maybe I'm just being um, a contrarian. So No, I think, uh,
0: I think you're pushing it out to logical conclusions based on what he's saying. If one person is more blessed for having sacrificed, one person that doesn't have to sacrifice would be less blessed is that because you would make you that would be the question that you would ask you would say does that mean someone that doesn't sacrifice is not as blessed as someone who did sacrifice right and i think it's a valid question whatever the answer would be based from these these leaders and we're never going to get to ask them but (laughs) (laughs) let's keep going we've talked about this for a minute so the next one we want to talk about right when elder rasband starts talking he the first thing that he mentions is that president nelson has three very important things to tell the youth and when i heard all three it just it just felt weird and so we're going to play some clips of these three things that he says and i'd like to get your thoughts on this paul cuz i definitely had some some things going through my head as he was giving the three things that were the most important things that the prophet could tell the youth.
3: And President Nelson, knowing that I think five of the 12 were going out this weekend, said, I have a message for you to give to the people. So if you're meeting with missionaries and the missionaries of the Vancouver Mission are watching this by Zoom tonight, youth, members, leaders, I want you to give them a little micro message. From me, President Nelson. Would you like to hear his message to you? Good. Here it is, threefold. It's easy. You can even remember it. One, President Nelson said, tell them I love them. Number one message, tell them I love them. I'm pausing the
0: clip real quick because I just I have so many questions. He says that the most important thing that the prophet wants to tell, Elder Rasband said that that five of the Quorum of the twelve were traveling the world, visiting the members and doing firesides such as this one, presumably. And he had a message that he wanted each of these five apostles to give, and the most important point that he wanted to share was that he loves the members. Now while from one side of things I think love is great, that's wonderful. Why? Why does that matter? And why does that matter now? Like why say the most important thing is that he loves the members of the church when there are so many other crazy things going on? This is the most important thing he wants to say? It just it just feels it feels so egocentric, like the members of the church need his love and need to know that he loves them. Like, it just just feels dirty. It just feels like love bombing.
1: I agree the the thing that I thought of when I heard this clip, um, him talking about how let them know that I love them. It made me realize that President Nelson is a rock star in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Mormonism. He is a rock star. I remember a quote uh, that's been going around on the internet here recently. A lot of people are playing this quote about how um, President Nelson specifically said that prophets very rarely teach what is popular. And it's not always appreciated, but it's true. They teach truth. And I realize that if you want to break down that statement, yes, he is saying that what prophets say to the world is not popular but in this group in this mormon group it is incredibly <laughs> popular he is a yeah. rock star and him saying let them know i love them it's like a rock star coming out and saying um i love you cleveland or whatever they say when they come oh to yeah a, you know totally. oh, I, I always love coming here to <laughs> portland you know um you get a you know like. a comedian standing
0: up in front of a crowd you know shouting out to whatever city they're they're traveling in I mean, that's that's yeah. what it felt like it just felt like you know, the phrase that that any sort of celebrity would say. Handering to the crowd. Mm-hmm. In my and, opinion. and to your point, Elder Rasband is, is starting this off by saying the prophet gave a message for you. Would you like to hear it? And then you get this audible. Yes. From the crowd. It's like it's right there into what you're saying. It's this. Yeah. He's a celebrity among the church. And, right. you know, for better or worse, that's that's the situation that we're in. And you
1: can see how their rhetoric engenders it. Oh, yeah. Well, and you just wait because then in a little bit, Elder Rasband will be the rock star. Uh, oh, yeah. We'll, we'll get to that point as well. So,
3: <laughs> anyway, I'm going to be bold with you right now. You may never he- have heard this before, but as a servant of the Lord, I'm going to say this to you. I believe if our Lord Jesus Christ were able to be here, And this Vancouver Stake Center. And come to this pulpit. Do you know what I think he would say to you? His first words would be, I love you. We just got done talking about how
1: President Nelson loves the youth of the stake. Actually, technically it's like nine stakes up here in the in the kind of the Portland area. Then he goes on to say that Jesus would say the same thing, which is it's it's in a kind of a roundabout way, it is likening President Nelson to Jesus Christ, right? Which is bringing it back to the fact that (laughs) President Nelson is supposed to be the mouthpiece for the church and, you know, who leads the church is Jesus Christ, but it puts President Nelson on a footing with Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. So someone that believes that the prophet speaks
0: the word of Christ would logically say that if that's the message President Nelson would say, then that's the same message that Jesus would say.
1: Right. Maybe not a super important point, but it just after feeling the feelings I got with the whole, I am President Nelson and I love you. And I turn around saying, and Jesus would say the same thing. It just felt a little bit um, gross. Yeah. Well, and I thought it was kind of funny because he, he
0: prefaces that by saying, I'm going to make a bold statement that isn't something that I would normally say. And then he says something mundane. If you believe that Jesus is the Savior, that phrase is not bold or out of the ordinary
1: <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. That's the- <laughs> very good. That's a, that's a very true point. Very true. I'm going to say something bold as a servant of the Lord or as an apostle of the Lord, whatever yeah. he says. I'm gonna let you know Jesus loves you. Well, that's what we're taught. We're taught Jesus loves us and that's why he laid down his life, right? For us, right? Yeah. So anyway, yeah, bold. And I, I don't normally say this, but I'm gonna say something that you've been taught since you were three. All right, so let's move on to
3: the second thing that the prophet wanted said. President Nelson's second message. He said, tell them, thank you. So our young friends, we thank you. We thank you for enduring a pandemic of monster proportions.
0: I'm not sure why, but as he was saying, you know, the second thing is thank you. All I could think of was uh, Douglas Adams, you know, so long and thanks for all the fish as the dolphin are leaving the planet. But that, uh, (laughs) that my my brain making random connections aside. Again, it just
1: feels so inane. And I have no reason to doubt it did not come from President Nelson. However, what I've realized as I've been a little bit more critical in my thought process here in the last couple of years, is that the things that President Nelson and the other leaders of the church say um, in general conference or in firesides, wherever it may be, what they say that people think is so groundbreaking and so amazing, oftentimes is just very... I mean, it's the same thing. It's just yeah. the same thing over and over. And it's very basic. And, you know, the thing that I keep, I, I realized when I was, you know, when I was believing, we, we'd always hear milk before meat and I would get so tired of milk. I was yeah. waiting for some meat and it never came. And I remember telling somebody, I remember, we need to have like a honors gospel doctrine class, you know, an AP gospel doctrine class. (laughs) And that was never going to happen. You know, I took, yeah, I took (laughs) BYU religion courses. That's as close as it gets to honors or AP. We thank you. I don't know. It's, It's to your point, the whole
0: milk before meat thing is everything that's taught in the church is just trite reframing of things that have already been taught and retold over and over again in a new and catchier way that is that is all that's happening and
1: and that's kind of what we have here is just kind of we thank you for enduring the pandemic what was the other alternative it's funny that you talk about like rebranding, rephrasing things, reframing the way that you say the same thing over and over and over again. And in this, I think it's this section of his discussion, he actually says, following the covenant path. It's, yeah. It may not be at this point, but I'm just like, covenant path, that whole thing, you know, in the last three or four years has become like the phrase to say. And That's it just goes back word. to what you're saying. Yeah, covenant path.
0: Now everyone's saying it. And all it is, is, is a more concise way of saying, keep your covenants or do everything that you're supposed to do stay on the covenant path endure to yeah. the end hold to the hold to the rod it's just a new way to say the same thing nothing new is being taught right it's just catch your yeah. <laughs> yeah and buzzwords that you can put on on your social media
1: yeah <laughs> i'll have to ponderize that that's right <laughs>
3: <laughs> now the third one is almost a challenge to you The third one from President Nelson is this, we need you, N-E-E-D, we need you, young friends. We've been called by our prophet to gather Israel on both sides of the veil. So the third most
0: important thing for the prophet to tell the members of the church is that he needs them. He loves them, thank you, and he needs them. It feels like like love bombing in an effort to get them to buy in and then do what they're told to do. Now, I'm not, I don't say that in a way that for someone that wants to believe in the church, that's fine. But this, this tactic of, of setting it up it feels very emotionally manipulative. So whether you believe or not, I don't think the rhetoric in this message is very healthy.
1: Right. I agree. And I think so two points that I'd like to make before we move on. And that's just that this is the theme of this fireside. And this is what I feel is going to be the theme going forward as we come out of COVID is, hey, we still need you. Don't disappear. Um, And specifically, (laughs) We need you guys to get out on missions. And, Mm -hmm. you know, they talk about this later um, and talking about how the young men are all supposed to go on missions and that the young women, if they want to go on a mission. But we need you to gather Israel. And then also going back to you talking about how it's manipulative. It reminds me of (laughs) I'm going to tip my hand a little bit. I did sales for a, a summer for a very Mormon company. Uh, a company called Living Scriptures. And one of the things that I learned when I was doing that, I, I should say, I say a summer, it, technically, it was two weeks before I quit. Um, but <laughs> one of the things I learned was get people saying yes, get people feeling good before you ask them for something. And that's what this feels like. It feels like you're saying, I love you and thank you for all that you do. And you're thinking, oh, that's great. and But now I need this from you. And it's I mean it's a, it's setting us up to mm-hmm. accept the the request that he's got for us but yeah I mean that's you see that everywhere you see that in oh, sales yeah. you see that um <laughs> yeah somebody said get three yeses uh if you can get three yeses in a row then yeah, when you ask for the yes sale
0: three times and then you ask for it and and you'll get it more more likely to get them to continue to say yes
1: Yeah did you did you listen to Zig Ziglar as well Perhaps I
0: <laughs> <laughs> the whole three points that he Made just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. The next one, I'm not going to share the clip, but he talked about during COVID getting missionaries' mission calls and then reassigning them to different locations. And this kind of got me thinking because the whole process, I think, during the pandemic, it shows that it's not as inspired as what members of the church are led to believe. Let's say, for example, that God knows the pandemic is going to happen. It would be a logical conclusion to assume that he would inspire the leaders of the church to send the young men and women to countries where they would be allowed to serve. One would think that these missionaries would get called to wherever they were reassigned to go instead of being called to wherever they were called to in the first place. And right. His example was Paraguay and then getting reassigned to
1: the States. Right. And then also he talks about a nephew who was assigned to Malaysia and then ended up uh, coming to this mission. I mean, so I don't yeah, know how serving in specific. Our area. Yeah, serving in our area. And, uh, and the thing that got me that I just I didn't realize until you started talking right now is something that he actually says. And he says, I had the opportunity to just recently assign 150 missionaries all Mm -hmm. over the world, including Paraguay. And then he says, and hopefully at some point they'll actually
3: get to be there.
0: Let's get the sound bite. We need that. We need Uh, that. I totally forgot that he
1: said that. Oh, man. So did I just just right now.
3: Last week, I assigned 150 missionaries to their fields of labor. And we were assigning them to all corners of the earth, even to Paraguay, hoping and praying that someday they'll actually get there. (laughs)
0: I wasn't planning on playing the clip, but you just reminded me of like that wonderful phrase that illustrates exactly what we're talking about. They're they're giving these calls and hoping that these missionaries are going to go to the place that, that the apostle was inspired to send them. It's backwards. It can't be inspired with foresight. Let's say even on the most believing interpretation of this, this inspiration that they have has nothing to do with foresight or foretelling anything of the future. Because if it did, it would function different than it has during the pandemic.
1: Yeah, I think that we're getting a little glimpse behind the curtain of how the church actually operates. Making a decision and hoping it's the right one. Um, You know, he said that they assign that they they hope and pray that they'll actually get to be go to the area where they were actually assigned, which when I got my mission call, I felt like that's where I was supposed to be. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, like that was that was ingrained. There's somebody there who needs to hear from me. I am the one who will share that message with them, and it has to be me. And now we're saying, well, you know, we'll assign you to Malaysia. We'll assign you to Paraguay, and hopefully you'll get there someday. Like, well, you're the apostle. You're the one who's (laughs) making these assignments by revelation, right? You should, I guess, know if they're going to get there. Otherwise, just assign them to Vancouver, assign them to Portland, assign them to Tacoma, (laughs) wherever. Um, You know, assign them to Los Angeles, wherever they end up. As you said, this is a this
0: is us getting a chance to look at how it actually functions with some better data to go off of. It shows that they they really don't know. You know, it's them tipping their hand a little bit. And this is an apostle saying that, that he's not confident enough in the inspiration that he received to say that these people will go to where they are assigned.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. And and I think we 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 get little glimpses of this. Every once in a while, we got a glimpse of it right after the first conference, uh, general conference after COVID kind of shut everything down. And it was President Nelson saying, well, I knew this one would to be different, but nobody could have foreseen this. Nobody would have foreseen this, <laughs> something to that effect. And so we see these little glimpses behind the curtain every once in a while, not to get too nitpicky. I mean, if you if you look for things like this, then they are out there. We're skipping a little bit ahead in the devotional. Um, he talked
0: about numbers of missionaries and them hoping to get the active serving missionaries up from about 55,000, which is where it's at now, back to like 70,000. But then he had an interesting thing to say, and this is right on point with with the recent, um, the recent First Presidency message to get vaccinated. And he kind of gives the reasoning behind their motivation to get vaccinated.
3: The First Presidency sent out an announcement asking people to... Uh, get their vaccinations. You must remember that we're saying this to a worldwide church because we need to gather Israel everywhere again so that they can go to the house of the Lord and receive their blessings.
0: The impetus for the first presidency to put out that message uh, encouraging members to get the vaccine is for the church to do more missionary work, for them to gather Israel, I'm not going to criticize their belief on that. That's fine that they that they want to gather Israel. I think it's interesting that the motive the motive isn't we want you to be healthy, we want you to be safe.
1: It's we need
0: missionaries to spread the gospel.
1: Yeah, and and they'll talk a little bit more about the uh, about the vaccine later as well. But yeah, we'll jump back I, I, into that. <laughs> there was just one thing he said. I mean, there's a lot of. Uh, discord going on between people, members of the church, believing members of the church about whether to get it or not. And even yeah. after this message, there is still a lot of discord about whether to get it or not. People saying, well, he wasn't speaking as a prophet at this point, or listen to the words he said. He he chose his words carefully and he he didn't say that you have to get the vaccine. I can't even begin to... Make sense of the arguments that people are making about what he quote unquote actually meant. Um, But it is signed the first presidency. I just didn't like that the motive wasn't to
0: protect the members of the church from the virus. Um, Elder Rasband was giving his testimony on his belief that Russell M. Nelson is the prophet called of God to lead his church today. And he talked about the process of senior apostles and how the senior apostle is the next prophet. But he, he used an interesting word. He said that in their meeting in the private rooms in the temple, that Russell M. Nelson was suggested and approved. And I thought that was an interesting way to word it because there was no question in anybody's mind who was going to be the next prophet. I think there are rituals that they do behind closed doors and suggesting and approving that are more ritualistic than actual, actually functional. It's the same as when their names are put forward during conference and they ask everyone to sustain them. It's it's a ritual. They don't care what anyone actually says or does. They're going to go ahead with it anyway. I just thought it was interesting that they the verbiage that he used on that.
1: Yeah, well, and, and li- another point, he's actually talking about how we can know who the next prophet's going to be because of culture and tradition. And those are the words that he used. He yeah. said he, he literally talked about, you know, about from our culture that it's going to be the senior apostle. Um, and, you know, so then to go around and say that, you know, that the name was actually put forward and then approved. <laughs> who's going to say no? You know, who's going to say no? Yeah, there's only 15 people in the room. There's nobody there to say no. So before we get on to the question and answer, which uh, to be fair, this meeting was about an hour and a half. And the question and answer was maybe the last 35 minutes uh, of tops. which four Yeah, four questions were asked. One of them was not a question from the audience. Uh, so it was three questions um, in a room that supposedly had 1800 youth in it. So could um, that looks like the stake center here in our city
0: yeah i don't uh, think you they can't can get fit 1800 people, people in. in there you well, can probably um, and, fit a thousand like if you're squished in there like tight and the fire
1: marshal better not find out if there's right? 800 kids in that, in that building <laughs> 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 um anyway so uh but what i was gonna say is at one point um elder Bragg gets back up and he starts talking about how Elder Rasband would love to shake your hand, but we can't. We've been told don't do it, you know, not with COVID. We are not going to be going around shaking everyone's hands. And then Elder Rasband gets up and he he says, everybody, hold out your hand. And then he says now, and then he kind of shakes his hand in the air. And he's like, now you can go home and write in your journals tonight that you shook the hand of an apostle. And (laughs) part of me gets it because I can remember shaking Elder Faust's hand and shaking Elder other Packers hand when I was in the MTC. Um, and I get that like, Oh man, I I shook an apostle's hand, but it just to have the apostle himself say, now go home and write about it that you got (laughs) to shake my hand. when first off you didn't really shake his hand, he stood up there in the front pretending to shake your hand. And then for him to say, now go home and write in your journal about it. It did not seem humble, like no humility at all in that statement. And Their their rhetoric encourages this hero worship. Yes, exactly. And we talked about already about Elder Nelson being seen as a hero and the worshiping of him. And now we're seeing Elder Rasband getting it as well as an apostle. But it's almost worse because he's giving it to himself. I don't think that the apostles in Christ's day went around saying, hey, I'm Peter, so you better, you know, you you got to meet me. I don't think, I don't think they did that. Now, Paul might have, I don't know, Paul was a little different beast, but I don't know that Peter or James or John would have done that. Um, So that's definitely not the example that Christ set. Going to the
0: example of Christ, what he says every time after he performs miracles, he says, don't tell anybody that I'm doing this. And so it's, it's the complete opposite. So here we have the apostle of of the Lord saying, Write right in your journal that you met me. And how cool is that? <laughs> when it's completely opposite to what Christ did. You know, I, I healed your disease. You're good to go. Please, I don't want a following yet. Don't tell anybody yeah. about it. Yeah. Go and tell no one.
3: Yeah. This is what we'll have to do tonight. But I want you to be able to record in your journals that you shook the hand <laughs> of an apostle of the Lord. And that's what we just did. So let's jump to the first question.
2: Well, as you are thinking of questions, we we received some questions from you. And I'd like to start with one of the questions that was asked, and then I'd like to turn to you. Um, We we have uh, microphones, but one of the questions that was asked is uh, I want to serve a full time mission. What are important things I need to do to prepare for that?
1: I think that the question is a fake question, personally. This question was probably chosen beforehand. Because this is a missionary fireside. This is a fireside yes. to get people on missions. The mission is
0: the only accurate way for them to predict new generations of... Temple recommend holding tithe-paying members of the church. And their numbers are down. So if they've only got 55,000, that means of this year's, you know, this generation, if you will, of missionaries, we're they're going to have less members of the church because of covid if they're correlating number
1: of missionaries to active adults, uh, going on a mission is one of the surest ways of ensuring that somebody will stay with the church uh, in the long term. Another one that they do is uh, is people who attend a church school. You are more likely to stay in the church if you attend a church school. And that's one of the reasons why BYU Idaho blew up back in what two thousand two, two thousand one, yeah. when it became BYU Idaho um, instead of it being a small two year Ricks College, mm-hmm. and so. You know there are these little these little markers, but I think I feel like this question was put in here in order to keep the conversation on missionary experience. Um, they couldn't trust that this question would be asked by the audience, and so they had to they had to pre it. Well, and even when they do, you know, let's say they get 100 questions,
0: they're going to pick the one question because they only do one question of these pre-submitted questions. They're going to pick the one that most closely aligns with what they're trying, the message that they're trying to put across. And so even if they got a thousand questions, they're going to pick the one because that's all they have time for. They're going to pick the one that most closely lets them give the message that they're trying to say. We're not going to go over their answer for it because, again, <laughs> as I've said a couple of times, I don't want to attack the beliefs of a person. So one of the youth gets up and he asks the question, what's the best way to resist temptation? Now, The leaders, they go and they talk for a little bit and they give different ideas. Um, and you have a couple of different general authorities getting up. Um, I wanted to highlight Elder Rasband's to preface this. Elder Rasband, he's talking about encouraging the missionaries. In his mission, while he was a mission president in New York, he's talking about encouraging them to be more obedient. He tried to apply some of the business ethics that he used in his professional life to the mission field and that did not work. And he, through the counsel of his wife, started shifting the focus of the missionaries onto Christ. And here's, here's what he said on how to develop better obedience as a missionary.
1: Uh, so as far as what, uh, elder Rasband says in the statement, he, he, his wife, he's talking with his wife about how do we get the youth to be more obedient? And her thought was, um, she had three points and that's what he's going over is these three points to help the missionaries become more obedient. All right, here we go. Here's, here's his three points.
3: And so I'm familiar with temptation. Uh, I've made mistakes. Some of you here tonight have made mistakes. This is the great reason for you and for I to love the Lord Jesus Christ and treasure, treasure his atonement. If you want to love Jesus more, how many of you would like to love him more than you do? Okay. I'm going to give you a little formula. All right, here's the formula. If you want to love Jesus more, first learn more about him. The more you know about him, I promise you, the more you will love him. And the third part of this little formula is the more you love him, the greater will be your desire to serve him. There it is, a little three-part formula. The more you know him, the more you'll love him. The more you love him, the more you'll have a desire to serve him. And so learning about him is a great privilege.
0: So I don't want to, I don't want to come down on belief in Christ. Although I've come to one conclusion. It's fine for them to believe in the Savior. And in fact, me looking at him as a historical figure rather than a mythological Christ Savior figure, I actually still study the scriptures and I, I really like the messages that he says. But I think there's an uncomfortable line that isn't addressed in this. If you study Christ and if you study who he was, what he taught and what he did in his life, if Christ were on earth today, he would actively speak out against the leadership of the church for many, many reasons. You'll see that he did not obey the leadership in his Jewish faith. He actively confronted the Sadducees and the Pharisees, and he, he was killed because he was inciting people to disagree with the local leadership. He was killed for treason. And so if you if you look at his example and if you learn more about him, the easy conclusion to make is that he would be very dissatisfied with how the church is run.
1: As happens when people are talking kind of off the cuff, um, the question was how to avoid temptation. And somewhere yeah. in there, <laughs> the answer became you need to be more obedient. He shares a scripture about the missionaries uh, in his Mm -hmm. mission when he was a mission president. Basically, if you, if you are following Christ's example, that is the best way to avoid temptation. I guess that's the point that he's trying to make. Yeah. But then it also comes down to like obedience and uh, he starts making the point about obedience with his missionaries and you're right. Jesus was, um, he was not obedient. He was a rabble rouser. He was a, he was a radical. He was, um, What's the term in the he kicked against the pricks? You know, (laughs) if you want to if you want to use another biblical term. And and you're you're right. I think that um if he were here, he would be a more radical voice, um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to a he would not be a milk, a milk voice. Mm -mm. He would be meat. He would be pushing against the uh the society, the that is built up around this church. He would be Mm -hmm. finding the flaws. And he would be pointing them out and fighting against them to fix yeah. them. I think
0: that them encouraging people to study Christ um, is interesting, but he goes into it, and we'll share this next quote, but he tells them not to study chronologically. And I think that's interesting because if you take, if you take the scriptures out of context and read them, read them out of order, you're not going to get that vibe of rebellion quite so much. This next clip that we're going to share, he talks about that. We're actually going to change subjects because he he reveals something that I think is really interesting, something that we we all already knew and could probably assume, but Elder Rasband says it outright right here.
3: Many of you read the scriptures chronologically. Do you know what I mean by that? Do you know what the most often read scripture in the whole church is? First Nephi one one I Nephi having been born of goodly parents, we know that because we can see what people are reading, not by name, but we can see how many people go to every scripture in the Gospel Library app. That's the most read scripture in all the scriptures.
0: I don't know if if he was supposed to. I don't know if he was not supposed to say this, but. The app that we have on our phones with the gospel library on it, they track what you're reading and they get statistics on what you read. And if it's like any of the other apps that are out there, they're going to get durations on the chapters. They're going to get so many little tidbits of
1: information about you just from that app on your phone. But he assured you in that clip that not by name, not by name. I don't know if that's true (laughs) or not, but I mean, considering you have to sign in to use it, you know, yeah, um, yeah, I don't I'm sure that if there's a way to track down what people are reading. Yeah, I
0: I'm sure that the numbers that are presented to him and to the 12 are probably more statistics and generalized. Um, But since it's an online system database with usernames and passwords, there is an IT department that would have access to everybody's passwords and usernames and all of their individualized statistics. Whether or not the leadership actually gets that, who knows? It's tough for us to to speculate <laughs> on something like that.
1: But they know where people are at on the website, including <laughs> in the gospel library.
0: Yes, yes. Yes, they do. What is the next question that's asked? So again, we're we're not um putting the the kids' voices out because we, we want to offer them a bit of privacy. So what's what was the next question that gets asked?
1: OK, so the next question that gets asked is specifically, what guidance can you give us about adhering or following the recent first presidency message, which in case you are living under a rock or you're listening to this like four years down the road? Yeah. Um, this for, is the message- for those
0: that are in the future, we're recording this um, on the week of August 16th of and,
1: 2021. And- and this message came out August 12th. And I actually have it pulled up. I don't know if you want me to read it or not. But this is the first presidency urging Latter-day Saints to wear face masks when needed and to get vaccinated against COVID-19. And it is signed the first presidency, Russell M. Nelson, Dallin H. Oaks mm-hmm. and Henry B. Eyring. Well, they can disavow that just
0: like they've disavowed the first presidency messages uh, endorsing uh, the priesthood ban. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and, Sorry. And, they, and nowhere in this statement do they say, thus saith the Lord. Which is an argument I've read on Facebook. Well, they don't say they'll stay at the Lord, so I'm not going to get the vaccine. (laughs) Yes. And then Sister Corden is asked to answer that question. Um, Yes, And it gets interesting.
0: (laughs) It gets gets culty is how I'll phrase that.
4: I think it's amazing that we have a prophet on the earth. Today, that can guide and direct us. I love the song, Follow the Prophet. Do you know that song? Can we just sing the chorus? Oh, I think we should. Okay, let's try it. Here we go. We ready? Okay, come on. <laughs> oh, with okay, so it goes follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. And you guys help me with this? Here we go. What is it? Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Don't go astray. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. He knows the way. Okay, let's try it. Here we go. That's what we're doing. Here we go. (laughs) Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Don't go astray. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. He
3: knows the way.
0: (laughs) <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I no. so, okay. I <laughs> I'm laughing because it's just so painful. Like, even even as a believer, when I would sit in congregations and when people would answer like that, or you know, impromptu sing with no piano, and then I was like, I was just painful to listen to. That was like extra cringeworthy because. Here, here they have a valid question. You know, for, perhaps this person wasn't confident in the vaccine. Perhaps this person um, has read some articles that have persuaded them to disbelieve in masks. And they're disagreeing with what the prophet has counseled. And they're wondering what to do about that. And the answer isn't do more research. You know, find out for yourself. The answer is don't think, just follow. When
1: the prophet speaks, the thinking is done. Yeah.
0: I'm typically very forgiving on a lot of aspects of belief, but something like this just just needs to go. Like anything that teaches someone not to rely on their own decision-making and critical thinking skills is damaging to the person. And so when you're teaching a, a kid that's asking a question, I'm not sure if I agree with this, what should I do? If you just tell them, don't think about it, just do what you're told. That is that's really unhealthy. But it's a great
1: way to keep kids in the church. Right? <laughs> this is true. And it's funny because I agree with you. When things like this have... Now, they'll happen in a ward every once in a while. Somebody will get up to bear their testimony and they'll say something like, I don't feel like I can bear it today, but I feel like it's I need to sing it. I need to... Like this song. And so I will sing you the first <laughs> verse. And everyone's just kind of sitting there going, oh my gosh, rocking back Everyone and forth. Everyone words I think you know, as a believing member, looking at like other religions doing something very similar to this. Like I, like I try to look at it now from an outside perspective, looking in, and I can remember as a kid seeing another religion, like, um, I don't know, Seventh-day Adventists or, uh, uh, Pentecostals or some other religion, some other denomination doing something like this and thinking, oh, That's so weird. That would be so awkward to be a part of. (laughs) And then now looking in and seeing, you know what? That kind of stuff happened when I was a kid all the time. You know, maybe not every month, but maybe every couple of years, I can remember something similar to this happening. And just the idea of, you know, oh, you have a question. Well, let's sing a primary song that first off is very dark and kind of um, for, you know, foreboding, you know, Mm -hmm. and the answer that the song gives you is just follow what the prophet tells you to do and that's it yeah that's the answer yeah
0: like you know marrying 14 year old girls you know things like that (laughs) whatever the prophet says you're supposed
1: to do it come on now he didn't say other people should do it only that he should do it
0: no no no. i wasn't implying that other people should (laughs) i was implying of his his chats with helen mark kimball and the other okay
1: (laughs) It's <laughs> yes, valid, very valid, very valid. Anyway. Oh, man. Yeah. We have to laugh, otherwise we'd be crying, right? This is true, yes.
0: I'm, we have to yeah. laugh at how silly some of these conclusions that we used to make were, because because uh, honestly, I have cried about how silly oh, yeah. I used to be.
1: No, you're right. I mean, and, and to just be a little serious here, I mean, definitely more tears shed on this, on Mormonism, since... You know, beginning to question and and trying to figure out for myself what's going on. Definitely more tears for that than really anything else in my life. In all honesty, yeah. Um, and I think that that's something. I know that's not what this is about. It's not right. what this episode is about. But no, no, you can say I, what you it, need to say. I think it needs to be said because so often people just discount anybody who who changes their beliefs who whose yeah. faith is gone in a system that they can no longer believe and they just discount it as they want to sin or they were just too weak or the one that yeah. i hear all the time now is the wheat being separated from the chaff and even the <laughs> righteous will fall away even the most whatever even the most devout will will fall away the um the strong yeah. ones and, and even the it, very elect so, very elect There you go. that's what i was looking for but it's so hurtful because so many tears have been shed by so many people. And I can't speak to everybody, but I know that so many tears have been shed by yeah. me. And so, well, yeah, so we laugh about this because <laughs> otherwise we'd be crying. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it goes back to, to what we were talking about earlier and some of the first quotes about sacrifices is, yeah, maybe we weren't selling all of the belongings in our house, but every single one of us sacrificed so much for this church. We gave so much of ourselves. And then we learned that it wasn't what it portrayed itself to be. And I just, I remember I took a day off of work around the time that I had been deconstructing and I just laid on the couch and sobbed because I, I didn't know what to do with all of these emotions. And, and like you said, like so many tears have been shed because it wasn't what it claimed
2: to be.
3: Right
1: and what they'll turn and tell you is that because you were having those bad feelings that that was satan right because because the the holy ghost speaks to you with comfort and you were not comforted therefore the holy ghost had left and you were being deceived and that's the message that they that they will yeah. share you I, I say they but believing members right and it's just it's it's really it's really too bad and it's it's really the, the frustrating thing is let's just say that deceit is from the devil
0: wouldn't that implicate much of the church's actions for its entire history we're, we're starting a new podcast it sounds like <laughs> sorry i you know we're getting <laughs> we're starting to talk about a whole different subject Ugh, you're right sorry
1: you get back on track anyway just
3: so Let's you know guys
1: scott and i were both fully fully committed very committed And I mean, even just in, if you want to just narrow it down just to dollars and cents, thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars and man hours given to the church. So fully committed. um, And, and it's hard to deconstruct that and to change and then to have family and friends who can't accept that you actually put in the effort, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's the hardest part. Okay. So we're going to jump to the last question. The third question is a young man who gets up and his question is just, can you share some spiritual experiences and how they've affected your life? Um, I can't remember if it was specifically the most spiritual experience or just some spiritual experiences and how they've affected your life. And then um, pretty much everybody gets a chance to get up and share something. And uh, I think Elder Bragg goes first and he shares a quick message about how he decided to pray about the Book of Mormon. Of course, after a disclaimer to Uh, make sure that some, some things are so sacred that we shouldn't just talk about them. And then he proceeds to talk about, you know, hanging out at his house for a Saturday while his parents are gone, praying about the book of Mormon, which, I mean, that's a very valid thing to do when you're trying to figure out the book of Mormon is true. uh, That's what you're taught to do. But, um, just kind of, uh, the, the answer that I found incredibly interesting was sister Corden's answer to this, her spiritual experience. And she (laughs) shares a story.
4: He asked me three times, Bonnie, you need to serve a mission. My father was um, being set apart to be a mission president. And I was just there watching. I had never thought about a mission. Maybe many of you are like that. Maybe you've never thought about a mission. And I finally said to him, I'm only 17, so I'll think about it someday. Apostles Sorry. of the Lord, though, maybe sometimes see things that we don't. And he said, I, I feel very strongly you need to put your papers in. So I went off with my father for my senior year to be in Portugal. And there I was a high school student. One day my dad came and he said, are you going to put your papers in? I didn't have a real strong personal feeling but i had had received an invitation from an apostle so i put the papers in thinking for sure it wouldn't happen but this is the part i want you to remember i got my call i was supposed to be in the mtc in february i had not graduated from high school i want you to remember one thing what matters to you matters to the lord because you matter to the lord
0: 17 years old Yikes. A high school student female 17 years old before the age was lowered so she
1: she should have gone four years later yep at 21 this is this this whole experience Is she's sharing this experience i don't i don't I didn't see this in her face or in her reactions, but in my heart, I could almost, and this is just me totally projecting. I could almost feel her kind of thinking, uh, maybe I shouldn't have shared this story, like as she gets through. But, <laughs> but the point that she makes is that this apostle told her to put in her papers when she was 17. And because of special treatment, her father was a mission president. And uh, so she put in her papers at 17. Maybe she turned 18 before she went out. I don't know. But she was not a graduate from high school. February of her senior year. Um, I was still 17 in February of my senior year. She went out on a mission. She goes on to explain that the MTC president uh, happened to be an educator and he made it possible for her on her P days in the MTC to go to the BYU testing center to test out of high school. Okay. That's great. She's 17 on a mission. Um, it was, it was back when it was a 21 year old, uh, for, uh, for females to go on a mission and, uh, she got special treatment and I find that it just reeks to me of nepotism of the people that, you know, will get you special treatment in the church. And, um, I was talking with my wife cause my wife and I were watching this together live she turned to me and she said something to the effect of, well, if I could have gone when I was 18, I probably would have gone, but I would have had to wait till I was 21. And I was thinking about it at 21. She was finishing her junior year of college to then cut and go off on a mission before your senior year of college. It's just not going to happen for most girls, even if they want to go. This special treatment that uh, sister Corden got when she was young, um, because of who she knew, it reminds me of a personal experience that I had when I was at BYU. I remember sitting in a chemistry class and somehow ACT scores came up. And this was back in like 2000, 2002, somewhere around there when, um, you know, you still had to have decent ACT scores to get in there. Not like now where you have to have like a 30 and you have to take all AP classes and all that. But, um, but this one student said, Oh, I got a 14 on my ACTs and not to shame anybody for getting a 14, but 14 was not high enough to get into BYU by a long shot. Uh, it was like 23 was like the lowest. Um, and so then somebody like everyone in the classroom was shocked. And, Somebody said, well, how, how did you get in? And then this young man said, well, my, my grandfather is in the first corner of the 70. And I think that was the first time that I realized that in the church, you got special treatment based on who you were related to and who you knew. I felt like in a church where we talk about how Christ is no respecter of persons, the church sure is. <laughs> and I think that this is a story that that just shows that again, that Sister Corden, uh, when she was young, got special treatment because her father was a mission president and she was able to go on a mission at 17. The nepotism
0: is rampant in the church. And, and when you look at who's related to whom and, you know, who has married, whose kid, the, the leadership of the church has been a dynasty for a long time. Of course, they're going to treat their own better than everybody else. Of course, they're going to give her the opportunity that they're not going to give anybody else. There are so many other people who would benefit from exceptions as well, but they are never given to anyone else. So the fact that the exceptions happen isn't a problem in itself. Since they are limited to to strictly those that have connections to the leadership of the church, that's what makes it problematic. If exceptions like this were granted for any young member of the church to go while they're 17 and have their high school waived, basically, then that would be understandable and that would be a practice that the church does. But since they get special treatment, it just shows how deeply problematic the system is.
1: We see it in some of the actual literature of the church, Um, not necessarily the literature that that people know about of the church. But uh, for example, um, a few years ago, uh, somebody had posted the mission president's handbook and you find things in there that they get special treatment, their kids get special treatment for like going to schools because their parents are out on missions as mission presidents. And so then their kids get, get free tuition at church schools, um, you know, uh, and other other things. They get housing and all that. They get entertainment budget as well as mission presidents, you know. And so mission presidents are not paid. It's not a paid position, but they are reimbursed. We see this special treatment all the time and it's not fair. And it's not Mm -hmm. fair. And I think, you know, I'll just go back and say it one more time. Christ is not a respecter of persons and um, his church should not be a respecter of persons either. That's why it's
0: dangerous for the leadership of the church to recommend people to study Christ, because if you compare what he taught, regardless if you believe he's your savior or not, if you compare what he taught to the way the church is run, there are glaring differences. When was the last time we had a fisherman for an apostle? (laughs) <laughs>
1: probably in the year well, uh, 30.
0: <laughs> one of my biggest complaints and perhaps I'll do an episode about this, but there's not a single prophet in any of the scriptures that was called as an old man because he had seniority over somebody else. You know, we got we have them called as little kids. We have um there's there's tons of other examples of be, of prophets being called, but none of them are quite so corporate as the way the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is
1: run. They're not as corporate as the Corporation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints? (laughs) (laughs) No way. I know, gasp. (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right, I've got one more thing I wanted to say, and this is going to circle back to the vaccine chat. Elder Rasband's response to a recent spiritual experience is talking about the vaccine. And he frames this and gives credit to the prophet for the vaccine. So let's let's hear what he has to say.
3: I've sat at the knees of President we Nelson. Go. There we go. As, as he has prayed to the Lord for a vaccine. For a vaccine that can bless the nations and the people of the world. Because the gathering of Israel cannot proceed if we're all locked down and right now much of the world is still locked down
0: the prophet of the church prayed for a vaccine to come out it feels as though they're trying to shift the narrative in such a way that the prophet's prayers are what brought about this vaccine He's not going to pray for a vaccine after the vaccine came out. It, it, it wouldn't make sense for him to keep praying for a new vaccine once it's already been developed and tested. My conclusion would be that the prayer happened before the vaccines came out. He's framing the vaccines in such a way that they're an answer to
1: the prophet's prayer. I've got two snarky things to say. <laughs> uh, he, he must not be a real prophet because he didn't get a vaccine. He got three. Um, <laughs> um. Well, I don't know. There's the Pfizer one. There's the Moderna one. There's the oh, Johnson that's and right. Johnson one. Um, <laughs> so hey. that's just me being snarky, you know. But here's here's the other thing. This reminds me of an episode of the, of the Simpsons. Actually, this is an old episode because that's all I remember. There is uh, a bear on the edge of Springfield. And so then they need to go get a bear squad to go keep bears away, right? And then the argument is, is that after they get this bear patrol to keep bears out of Springfield, there haven't been any more bears. Now, granted, there was one bear in like, I don't know, 30 years that actually wandered into Springfield. And so Homer's argument is it must be working. And then Lisa makes the argument of, well, I have this rock that keeps tigers away. And then Homer says, well, how do you know it keeps tigers away? And then she says, do you see any tigers around here? And he says, Lisa, I want to buy your rock and it's the similar argument that maybe it's not a similar maybe i maybe i've gone way off no out no, no 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 but it's a, it's a similar argument that you can pray for the vaccine and then when the vaccine comes you take credit for it because you were praying for it it's like yeah. there's no tiger here because i've got this rock you can't prove that the rock is not keeping away tigers but i mean come on yeah he's taking credit this is giving credit <laughs> to president nelson's prayers for the vaccine when there's really no evidence that it is his prayers that cause it to happen first. But this is not the first time I've heard this. I've heard it on Facebook that thanks to the prayers of our prophet, that's why the vaccine came out so quickly, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to taking years to produce, this one came out in nine months and uh, I've heard that argument before. Yeah.
0: And the thing that I don't like about things like this is that it, it takes the credit away from the scientists and the doctors who are actively working to produce life saving vaccines. It's so self aggrandizing of him to say, I prayed for this vaccine and it came about. And this is having Elder Rasband say it is a humble way for the prophet to be able to have someone else say these grandiose things about him and about the power of his prayers. Right. Or just as you said, you know, like how do you know the how do you know the vaccine didn't come out because he prayed well he prayed and it happened didn't it he he prayed and the vaccine came about didn't it i just get really frustrated because as we said multiple times throughout this episode it's it's just showmanship to get themselves the celebrity and limelight in the church like that's all that this feels like It doesn't feel like anything that they say has much to do with Christ. It feels like they're talking about themselves. I agree with that. Well, Paul, I appreciate you coming on. Do you have any last thoughts that you want to say about this devotional? Oh, did your
1: did your daughter watch it with you? No, he did not. (laughs) My wife and I watched it. Now, my wife and I, we are we're taking an approach that if there's good things in Mormonism, then we're more than happy to have our kids learn those things. However, we are we are the gatekeepers of what is good for our children. And so if there was something good in this devotional, we would have had her watch it. And and in all honesty, we may have been able to go on and on for what an hour and a half, an hour and 45 minutes about this devotional, but all in all, it was relatively run of the mill. You know, it Mm -hmm. was, it was very generic with a couple of really exciting parts. Like I was a 17 year old missionary in the seventies, you know, it's like, wait, what, where did that come from? I guess my biggest disappointment with it was that in the question and answer section, there were three questions, three questions from the audience that were asked. And there were three questions from the audience that were asked that were not answered by Elder Rasband. I think he only answered, I guess he answered kind of the the vaccine one as well, but... um, He didn't get up and answer the questions. And he was the apostle who was there that we were hoping for answers from. He got up last
0: on a couple of occasions, but he, for the most part, deferred to the other leaders that were there. Here, I'll give my words of advice. So anyone on the Strengthening Church Members Committee that might be listening, here's a little nugget that you can pass on up. If you want to keep the youth, when you do question and answer sessions, let the kids ask their questions. And and don't get up and just talk and talk and talk. Let them direct the conversation. If you want to maintain the youth in this church,
1: listen to them. Wait, you mean the Strengthening Church Members Committee is listening to this? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, One of the things too, I mean, yeah, you're right. This is a generation of youth that are used to getting answers. If they have a question, they can find the answer. They have a cell phone in their pocket and that is how they've been raised. Like I still have to think, hey, my wife will ask me a question. I'll be like, I don't know. And then I'll be like, wait a minute. I can look it up on my phone. Mm -hmm. This is a generation of kids who that's just their natural response. And so to Mm -hmm. get up and preach at them for an hour and then say you're going to answer their questions and only get to three My eight-year-old knows to ask Google
0: any of these questions. When he wants to know something, he'll walk up to me and say, Dad, I need you to Google this because I'd like to know. They're in a world where they can get instant information and the answer to any question at all times, basically. They don't have to go through a long process of going to a library or finding an expert. They can Google it and get, get the answers right there. And so when you have a generation of people taught that information is free for everyone and you give them a situation where they're allowed to ask questions and then none of them get to ask any questions uh, yeah. the format needs to change for these q a's if you want to yeah. keep the youth because what they're doing is not working it was it was the appearance of A Q&A without actually mm-hmm. any q a precisely the only the only last thought that i have is is As a believing member, I tuned out from most general conferences and from most devotionals like this because I never felt like I learned anything new. And that's the feeling that you get from a lot of these, you know, the milk before meat that we were talking about earlier. There's never anything new told. I lost interest in a lot of what the leadership had to say, even as a believer, because I never I never felt edified. That's all that this was a whole lot of nothing.
1: It kind of was. <laughs> but thanks for having me on to talk about it. It was it was is is very enjoyable, actually. And I find yeah. that now as I'm listening to things like this, different talks and general conference and things, I find that I'm way more interested now than I was as yeah. a member.
0: The church needs to allow for some critical thought and some and some pushback whenever the leaders say something stupid. Instead of revering them as infallible deified men. If they raised the youth to be able to think critically and to and guided that critical thought in a way towards belief, I think they could maintain the youth. But as it stands, they're losing a lot of people because as people learn to think critically, they're thinking and learning their way out of the church. Well, thanks for hanging out with me, Paul. We'll have to do it again another time. Sounds good. Sounds good. I'll be here. Thanks for coming on, Paul. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to another episode of Umptum Ruminations. I apologize for the audio quality in this episode. I tried a new program to record this episode, and it didn't work the way I expected. I wasn't able to edit individual audio tracks, and so there is a bit of background noise and background chatter during some of the sections in the episode, and I apologize for the audio quality in the future, I'll go back to the program that I was using. I'll look for a better program to use in the future for episodes of this nature. There was a lot that we discussed in this episode. I hope that this is something that you enjoyed. As often as my friend's schedule permits, we will get together and chat. As I've mentioned in previous episodes, we've, act- we've already started recording some discussions about the Gospel Topics essays. We'll release those once we have them all recorded. I am very appreciative of, of him giving his time to come and chat with us today. As always, I hope that you have an excellent day.